1: Welcome Irish fans to another edition of the Opponents Insider Podcast. I'm your host Vince D'Adario and I'm the football analyst here at Irish Breakdown. Notre Dame coming off a thrilling double overtime, 47-40 to victory over the previously number one-ranked Clemson Tigers. And there's a ton to talk about when it comes to that game, and you can find it all at irishbreakdown.com, as well as our podcast over on Soundwise. And then don't forget about our new YouTube channel. So go over there, hit the subscribe button, so you get all that information. We've got a ton of stuff breaking down that game. But today, we're going to turn our attention to the Boston College Eagles and former Irish quarterback, Phil Jurkovic. It is a 3.30 kickoff at Boston College and you can find that game over on ABC. So make sure you log into irishbreakdown.com prior to, during, and after the game for updates and analysis and hop on our uh, game day message board. We got, you get mine and Brian Driscoll's thoughts uh, during the game. And then I'll bring you some, uh, some synopsis of the press conference afterwards. So make sure you stay locked in there. But with me today to talk about the Eagles of Boston College is AJ Black, who is the editor and publisher at BC Bulletin and he's also the host of Locked On Boston College podcast. AJ, how are you doing today, sir?
2: Hey, I'm doing great, Vince. Thanks for having me on.
1: Absolutely. Thanks for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Um, big game. Uh, you know, this is I, this is one that you know, maybe people outside of Boston College and Notre Dame might not have had circled, but uh, with all the connections and, you know, I mean, you can go all the way back to 1993, the last time Notre Dame knocked off number one uh, at Notre Dame Stadium, the next team they played was Boston College. And of course, everybody remembers what happened there. Notre Dame lost that game and, and essentially lost the national championship. Uh, so, It just seems a little too odd that they knock off number one at home and now they get to play Boston college again the week after Uh, Boston college coming into this game, five and three, they got a brand new head coach and coach Halfley. Why don't you walk us through uh, basically the time that he got hired as the Eagles new head man and, and kind of his reception uh, from the fan base and Uh, You know, just basically, you know, how things have have uh, progressed in the offseason and then into the season, the state of the
2: program, I guess. Sure. So I think the cycle kind of started last year, right around the time when B.C. played Notre Dame last. And I think it was that 40 to 7 loss to Notre Dame that really put the nail in the coffin for Steve Adazio. Yeah. And it was at that point we just knew he wasn't going to be able to get B.C. to anything more than a middling six and six kind of school. And I think BC wants to be able to go to be like a nine and three and have those nine and three, eight and four type seasons because we've seen it happen in the past. Sure. So BC plays Pitt. They fire Steve. It it was crazy because BC beats Pitt to make it to a bowl game, which we didn't think was even going to (laughs) happen. You know, you see the AD on the field hugging Steve Adazio. They're going at it. Twelve hours later, he fires Steve Addazio. Wow! You know, we were watching that and we're going, "Oh, he's coming back!" Because that the AD is all over him right now, and they're going crazy. Nope, gone next day. And so the the start start to look for a new coach begins. You know, they're looking at guys like Luke Fickle. He, you know, he wasn't interested. They had other uh, your defensive coordinator uh, Clark Lay was uh, one of the guys that yeah. I heard was named as one of the options. Um, Mike Elko over at Texas A and M, and then. Jeff Halfley's name popped up and the fan base went crazy for that. They saw what he was able to do, you know, a young defensive coordinator with good coaching experience in the pros and college, you know, they were, they they were right on board with that. So when he got hired, the fan base went crazy and, um, and it just grew from there. His, like he just immediately started to really catch the attention of a fan base that really for the last 10 years, hasn't really been all that engaged. You know, mm-hmm. you've had Steve Adazio for seven years of six and six football. You had Frank Spaziani who had no business being a head coach. And so you had those 10 years where BC just hasn't been really all that competitive. You a know, one top 25 win in the last 10 years. Um, you bring in Jeff Halfley. He's got the pedigree, right? As I said, he's got the experience He's also, you know, you saw what he did with Ohio State. Last year he took Ohio State from I think they were 71st in the the country in 2018 to number one in defense in one year. And so we saw what B.C.'s defense looked like and we're like, oh, my gosh, this guy could do something with what we have and fix this. And then to see what he immediately started to do with the program and you're like, he gets it. He gets it. Okay. He, you know, first of all, (laughs) Phil Dracovic. You know, we didn't have a quarterback. Anthony Brown was our quarterback last year. He blew his knee out for the second time, and announced that once Steve Adazio was leaving, he was going to transfer. He's over at Oregon now. Uh, and then after that, our Steve Adazio did a real lousy job um, recruiting quarterbacks. Just, just I mean, if you're going to run the ball constantly, what quarterbacks going to right. that offense? So J- Halfley noticed that, and then Jakovic became available, and like. He was on the phone within two days of taking the job with Phil, got him in, and by the time Djokovic left, knew he was going to transfer to Boston College. And at that point, everyone at Boston College knew, hey, we have a quarterback now. Halfway gets it. You know, he's in, super engaging when you listen to him talk. He is.
1: Agreed. I've listened to him he, after games and at yep. halftime, and he, he is absolutely engaging.
2: He's the complete opposite of Steve Adazio. Steve Adazio is that gym teacher, like, you know, kind of punch him in the mouth and blah, 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 blah. And after a while, when you're losing games, that gets a little grating. You don't want yeah. to hear that, right? Jeff Halfley is very um, self-aware. He's super media savvy. So you got as a, as a media member, I always have to watch, like, because you, you're, like, tripping over yourself sometimes at, like, how well he answers things. But, like, you got to kind of catch him sometimes. But um, the fans <laughs> just loved it, listening to him talk. He started with this whole – like, he got on the plane – and started a whole hashtag get in and it's been his hashtag for recruiting since he's gotten here nice and he used it with Djokovic, um and it's become fans all know it now they're all like you know it's get in get in we're gonna get in um and it, it kind of encompasses the whole program getting those fans back that have been so vacant for bc if you sure. watch the alumni stadium in the last couple of years other than this year obviously um it's you know half full it's because Fans don't want to watch a team that's going to be 500 and, and doesn't want that. He wants to bring the program up. So he gets Dracovic. He goes in, he gets Jalen Gill like two months later, who's a top hundred recruit, just not utilized by his mentor, Ryan day. And he gets him over here. He then looks at the defense, which was bad last year. And he starts to address it. He brings in Dion Jones from Maryland he grabs um on Wuka, a defensive tackle from Buffalo, who's a big kid, uh, to fill up that uh, offensive line, defensive line. And then as the summer progresses, he gets Luke Beckett, who was a three year starter at Cal, hmm. to fill that defensive line. So, three, st- and those three guys have been starters all year long. So, he grabbed three grad transfers, and they're all pretty good. I mean, you know they're not superstars, but they're gonna they're solid players that have learned the playbook that have sure. done well, and that's all on Halfley. Halfley did that, and I think you know you you, you hit that. You get Djokovic, and I I think the biggest testament, and he, he says it all the time. Obviously, is if you the 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 way he's reigned in this program and and put them in in just dis, the discipline he's put in we've had one positive COVID test since June and that wow. was a kid that came in with it. So he, since the kids have come on campus, nobody at Boston college and on the football program or staff has been positive for COVID. So that he, he's, he, he talks about how big of a victory that is because of all the variables he's been able to keep the team so focused and not out partying or doing something sure. stupid that could really impact the team. So, that he talks about how important that has been to him. So, you know, at, the recruiting has improved. Halfley has done, you know, everything that he's needed to, needed to do. The one piece, and we're looking at it this weekend. He hasn't beaten a big team yet, and he hasn't had an opportunity to do that. I mean, yeah, right. He had an opportunity. I mean, he, beat, he almost beat Clemson. And that was a brutal game to watch because they had an eighteen point lead, and they went absolutely. Yeah, but, right. Um. You know, I think a win over a top 25 team is that one last piece that athlete needs.
1: No, you're you're absolutely right. And, and and of course, you know, as a Notre Dame person, I don't want that to happen this week, but it's going to happen. I mean, I, I just feel mm-hmm. like it, you mentioned that he's engaging, um, listening to him talk about his players after the game is over or even at halftime. I mean, you can just tell that he he's right there in the trenches with them. And, you know, he wants what's best for them. I mean, he's all about, he, I guess you would call him a player's coach, right? I mean, yep. that's, that's how he comes off to me not being there every day. Is that a, a safe assessment?
2: Absolutely. Yeah. He's not a guy that's gonna. he said it before. Like when you go to a press conference, he'll say, I don't, I'm not the kind of guy that's going to scream at a guy for dropping a pass or making right. a penalty because what the he says, what's that going to teach them? Right. He says, I'm going to pull them aside. I'm going to talk to them. We're going to learn what we did wrong and we're going to move on past that. Um, and he's also really super quick to take blame. Sure. Whenever, whenever there's a press conference and you bring up, Oh, it, like penalties has been a huge issue for BC this year. He always blames himself. It's always the first thing. And I, I asked him this week. I said, I said to it, cause he always says, you know, Jeff, what do you, what do you need to improve upon? You know, as a team, he says, I got to prove upon as a coach. So finally I asked him, I said, what do you mean by that? You know, he always says it. I just wanted to ask him what he said. And he, he's great. He just went through a whole series of plays where he didn't communicate well to his offensive coordinator about what he was expecting, you know, here, here and here is what I would have done, but I didn't tell Frank Signetti this. And this is what the end result was. And we left points on the board because I didn't communicate well. I was like, all right, wow. cool. Okay. So, yeah.
1: <laughs> That's great. No. Yep. So, let you know, the elephant in the room for obviously this game is the Phil Jakovic effect uh, on this game. Before COVID hit and Notre Dame joined the ACC, they weren't supposed to play Boston College, I think for another couple of years. So, right. you know, that would have been, you know, Phil's entrenched at that point if he's still around and, you know. So, here we are uh, his first year as a starter. What, first of all, what has he meant to the program? Cause you said, obviously, quarterback has been an issue at Boston college and the games that I've watched, he's just out there making plays. I mean, and it's, and a lot of times it's outside the offense. I mean, he's just kind of doing yep. his thing. Um, what has he meant to this team coming in and, and to the offense?
2: You know, I have to say, I, I don't know if it was Brian Driscoll that put it up, but there he's second in the country right now, in being um for, for yards that he's accountable for, right behind Kyle Trask of wow. Florida. 72% of BC's yards go through Phil Dracovic. Wow. Which is crazy. Um, he's been everything for BC. <laughs> so, you know, going into the season, uh, even up until camp, uh Halfley had been non-committal about who was starting quarterback of his, you know, as someone who covers the team, I was like, it's gonna be jakovic <laughs> It's not gonna be Dennis Grossell, who we saw you guys saw last year, yeah, who was a walk-on. And he's nice, he makes his plays, but he's not Dracovic. Sure. Yeah, and right. So finally, Dracovic gets named. In the first game we watch, every Boston College fan and every reporter and media member has been so accustomed to BC running the ball. You're just expecting they have this offensive line with four of five starters returning. And David Bailey, who was, you know, a good solid running back behind A.J. Dillon last year, ran for like 800 yards. You're like, you know what, we're going st- to I'm expecting Djokovic to slowly ease into this offense. Sure. What happens? Bailey doesn't do anything. The offensive line is a mess and Djokovic wins the game himself. <laughs> and no one was expecting that. And yeah. it just continually happens. Texas State the next week. You know, the offensive, you know, if you listen to my podcast, what did I say? I was like, oh, they're going to run the ball. Texas State can't stop them. And we have this offensive line. Offensive line gets beaten by a smaller group and Djokovic wins it again. <laughs> so he he just plays. He just is able. He's one of those quarterbacks that can just do everything for a team when they need it. Mm-hmm. And luckily, there's been some games like Syracuse last weekend where he didn't have to do a hell of a lot. They just decided they're going to run the ball and they actually got the running game going and Jacobic just threw it 29 times. And it was all a lot of checkdowns and, and short screens and things because they Syracuse was just waiting on long passes, but he's done everything between running and the long pass. And he's, you know, he's able, as you said, he, he's able to to do things outside the pocket. I think he was, I saw, he has the third rated uh, poor football focus had him as the third ranked, quarterback outside the pocket um, with. So he, you know, when the pressure comes, he's able to, to run around and do, and and, and get, get plays going. Uh, Announcers have have compared him to Ben Roethlisberger the way he's able to avoid getting hit. He takes a beating. I mean, the Clemson game, he got his ass kicked, excuse my language, (laughs) butt kicked uh, that fourth quarter and he continually made plays. And so I think you're seeing a kid that Halfley says over and over again is playing. He's tr- technically like a freshman. He hasn't started sure. since he was in, college, in high school. Right. This is his first time, you know, running an offense, but he's running the offense. He's mm-hmm. able to like, you know, to he's, he's doing his progressions. He's, you know, making his reads before, and he's doing all this in his first year. So I think it's been pretty impressive what Jakovic's been able to do. You know,
1: it's, it's interesting because for Notre Dame fans, it was either, a, it was a love hate relationship with Phil Djokovic and those of us in the media that got to watch practice or when we saw him in games or or whatever the case may be, yes, he would make mistakes and, and sometimes he, you know, his footwork wasn't great or his, his mechanics or whatever, but he always seemed to lead a touchdown drive. Yeah. He always seemed to make a play to, oh, yeah. you know, to move the offense down the field, you know, and, and he's a playmaker and he's one of those guys that is not necessarily going to look good in practice, but he's, he's a gamer, right? He's, he's a guy that in the games you're going to be able to count on him. And, and he also has one of the most beautiful long balls I've ever seen in person. I mean that he can nail the long ball. And I I don't blame Syracuse for sitting on that because that was the best part of his game uh, when he was probably at Notre Dame.
2: Yeah, it, it, it was, it, you, you nailed it. Like he, the gamer is exactly what I would say. Like there's been so many plays where you watch him and you're like, Holy crap. He's going to like, <laughs> there's something bad's going to happen. And then he makes something out of, you know, he makes le- lemonade out of lemons right. and he makes this huge play. And you're like, where did that come from? Because you don't expect any quarterback to be able to wiggle out of what he wiggles out of and then be able to make a throw. Sure. Um, so I've, you know, when I first started watching him, I was like, oh, you know, it's going to bite him in the butt at some point, but we're now eight games through the season and it hasn't yet. Mm -hmm. Like some of the things that he does, like, you know, taking some really weird chances and things like that. I think he's just a winner. Like some of the things he does reminds me of Tim Tebow. Mm -hmm. Um, He's got a better arm than Tim Tebow, but um, he he just has that knack for getting plays when BC needs the plays.
1: Yeah. No, I agree with that. Uh, He's honestly – outside of watching Notre Dame games, I I love watching Boston College games because I love watching that kid play. I mean, it's just fun to watch. It's exciting football to watch. Um, But anyway, let's move on to some other parts of the team. I think uh, from an outsider standpoint, just looking at, you know, uh, a lot of the preseason stuff for the ACC and things of that nature, it feels like one of the biggest disappointments at least early on in the season was probably the offensive line, uh, yeah. for Boston college. And I, I'll let you go into more detail, but, uh, I was expecting, you know, kind of a vaunted group and Phil's running for his life <laughs>
2: a lot of yeah. times. Yeah. Phil was, you know, BC's near the bottom of the country in terms of sacks taken. And some of that has to do with Phil just holding sure. on the ball forever. But some of it was because Phil was, you know, getting, you know, getting beaten pretty hard at the beginning of the year and I think a lot of that had to do with I, I I wonder I'm not and I'm not an offensive line coach so you know looking at what Steve Adazio did it was a lot of just you know big physical just run forward and not a lot of you know they would pull a guard or do a little things here and there but a lot of it was just beating the guys up in the trenches sure. and with the pro style offense it seems like it's a little bit more finesse on top of that the one thing that BC did that I'm not the biggest fan of was they they kind of tinkered with the formula. So you had four guys coming back. Four of them were all ACC going into the season. They moved positions on three of them. So the center was the only one that stayed. They moved Tyler Rabel to the other tackle. They moved Zion Johnson Johnson, who I thought was one of the best guards in the country last year to tackle. And then they moved um, Ben Petrula uh, to the other guard. So they moved everyone around. It didn't make any sense to me, but you know, whatever. Right. What do we know? Right. I'm not a coach. I'm not there. And, <laughs> and they got to They had to figure out a way to get Christian mahogany in there. So they, he needed to be a guard. So, you know, they figured out that piece. Um, and then it, the season started and all of us, you know, they're, they're all over the place. They're making tons of penalties, like stupid, uh, you know, pre-snap stuff holding, you know, and it was, it's killing them. And then Phil's getting his butt kicked, you know, getting blitzed and hit all over sure. the place it took until probably 3 games ago for that to kind of settle in and the the offensive line is finally hitting the groove alec Lindstrom, their center we talked to him last you know 2 days ago and he said he said exactly what i just said like you know they moved guys around it took a little while with the new scheme that they had and now that they got the communication down it seems like it's more consistent they, they looked against syracuse i know syracuse they only scored 16 points but there were some some execution issues that they had, you know, near the goal line. I wasn't just kind of bit them in the butt, but the offensive line I thought looked like what I expected them to look. They just beat up Syracuse up front. And I thought that was finally where they need to be. And, you know, against Notre Dame, it's going to be their biggest challenge yet. Cause obviously Notre Dame has the best, one of the best defenses in the country.
1: So, you know, let's talk about who they're blocking for, uh, you know, in the run game. You said David Bailey had 800 yards rushing, and he wasn't the focal point, obviously, uh, because A.J. Dillon was pretty good, uh, you know, in the past. So he's the featured guy now, uh, only has 429 yards through eight games, and he actually hasn't even started all the games. Travis, is it Levy or Levy? Levy. 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 So yep. Travis Levy started the other three of those games, uh, five and three split right now. He's got 219 yards. They're both very similar uh, as far as uh, you know, average per per rush: 3.9 for Bailey, 3.2 for Levy. Uh, just kind of take us through the run game uh, where it sits right now, because obviously that's not the focus of this offense anymore.
2: Yeah, it's it's been a challenge this year. So Bailey, going into this year, you expected him to be the the feature back. The the one little nuance that came up from Jeff Halfley was that Bailey dropped 25 pounds from last mm-hmm. year, which for running backs, a big deal. Mm-hmm. And for a guy like him, who it's not he's not a finesse runner. He's not a speed runner. He's a physical runner. So he's got to kind of figure out his own game again because he dropped from, you know, two I think he was like 240 to like 215. That's yeah, a big difference for a, for a oh, running yeah. back. So he's figuring that piece out. Um, and I don't, I just, it. it it's, it, it's hard to put your finger on the one other thing that Frank Signetti does that drives our fans crazy is that he doesn't consist like our fans are expecting like AJ Dillon ran it 40 times a game and whether you liked it or not, he was running that ball 40 times a game. He's pretty good. He, he was pretty good. And you didn't blame him because <laughs> right. anytime he could run it for 60, 70 yards and you never knew when it was going to come. Right. But Signetti kind of, as you just said, rotates between them I and mean, there's no rhyme or reason between Bailey or Levy. Both of them are decent in the passing game. So it has nothing to do. And halfway has said it has nothing to do with the play calling. He just, you know, they're different guys. They tap out and, and come in. Um, But I feel like that, routine like getting in a rhythm has been kind of an issue for for bailey and i think both of the guys and when i watched them run i was just saying this on my podcast earlier this week like they ran for like a hundred almost 200 yards against syracuse this week and they just didn't hit that second level like you know when you had adazio and i hate bringing him up but that's just what we're basing it off of you expected the guys to have, you know, a 30, 40 yard run because it just happened. It was just the way that the team was built. Sure. Bailey and Levy were both parts of those offenses and they both had games where they had those moments. I haven't seen that yet out of them. So they would be game, you know, they would run six, six yards at a time. And you know, you know, the whole coaching speak of oh, if you could run the ball five or six yards of t- clip, you just keep running the ball. You keep doing it over and over again because if they can't stop you, you just keep doing it. Well, it would take one stop and then the whole offense would completely fall apart because they just couldn't, once they were behind the sticks, the way they were running that offense, they just couldn't make it up. And I think that was a big, that's a big issue with this rushing attack is that the explosiveness and I watched it with Williams on, on Notre Dame. you got a guy like that that can just blow it up. Even if it's, if it's, if they're behind the sticks, BC doesn't have that and they're recruiting to get that because the guys that they're recruiting are not BC running backs that you're expecting. They're not the Andre Williams. They're not the AJ, AJ Dillon. They're not the Willie greens. They're much more compact. You know, Dion Lewis is the guys that Frank Cignetti used to recruit. Um, but the guys they have now, Levy and, 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 uh, David Bailey, they just don't have that second gear. And I think that that kind of hampers what they're able to do in the rushing attack.
1: Sure. No, it makes a lot of sense. And it's, the first year of a coach when he comes in, it's sometimes it's a lot of uh, round hole square peg situation. You know what I mean? It, it mm-hmm. sounds like that might be uh, kind of what, you know, Boston College is dealing with in the run game right now. But um, so we, we talked about Phil and, and what he's able to do. And he's, you know, bringing some of these receivers kind of out of the darkness and into the light, right? I mean, he's finding some guys and, and doing some work. And obviously, Zay Flowers is is a pretty amazing Yep. Uh, wide receiver who else should Irish fans kind of be paying attention to as far as ball catchers in this game
2: so obviously Zay Flowers who had probably my favorite quote I'm not a big Steve Adazio fan I bought <laughs> ahead with some, but that was a whole other story um <laughs> Zay Flowers doesn't is one of those players that did not like you got a lot of the old players and they are just gonna they they say the politically correct things. of course Zay Flowers goes in and goes you know, I'm glad I'm just no longer a uh, a jet sweep wide receiver. They're gonna actually let me play to be a wide receiver. I was like, whoa. because <laughs> that's literally what he was last year. He was just Shots a jet fired. <laughs> yeah. and he's learning how to be a wide receiver. So you got Zay, you also have uh, C.J. Lewis, who is a converted quarterback from Connecticut. Uh, he's six four, mm. uh, so and he's long. He's real long. So he's the perfect uh, target for Phil. Djokovic in the red zone so you know when phil gets closer he likes to go to cj because cj can, he can just toss it up and high point it and sure. CJ's gonna get it um he's been a revelation this year because honestly before this year i just thought of this kid as a kid that didn't really have great hands that was not able to really become a pass catcher and then he got hurt so i i mean when all my previews this year i didn't even mention him because i just didn't think he was going to be much and we couldn't see practice so i didn't know what he's right of compete. course um, and he's been, he's been incredible. He's got four or five touchdown pat, uh, catches already and has done quite a, a nice job in that X, uh, wide receiver role, which they had to fill because their other starter Kobe white, who is a fifth year starter, um, is out for the year with a, with a knee injury. So CJ Lewis is one. The other, uh, you're going to look at is Jalen Gill, who is a, um, tr- as I mentioned earlier, he's a transfer from Ohio state. He's slowly kind of finding his way in this offense Um, I've liked the way he's starting to come up. He, you know, he's quick. He make, he's a bigger body. Um, He's been, you know, filling that third role. The other one, another player again, who I uh, thought based off of what I've heard would never have done anything with BC is Jelani Galloway. Who's this smaller compact quick wide receiver that they have out of Rhode Island. um, Who's kind of filled that fourth wide receiver. So they're able when they need to spread it out because they've got enough wide receivers, which is incredible because other than Gill, Halfway didn't recruit any of them. They were all under Steve <laughs> Dazio. So he right. had the weapons there, he just didn't use them. Um, and they've, they've done a really nice job um, giving Djokovic ta- uh, targets. On top of that, you got Hunter Long. I don't know if you right. can bring him up. But
1: I know that I was going to say, you can't forget about Hunter Long and what he brings to the table.
2: Yeah. Like, you know, kid from New Hampshire, New Hampshire, not a great uh, recruiting state. He comes in and he, I, I thought, you know, a couple years ago, I was like, oh, he's going to probably top off. You know as a mid-level tight end and he he looks NFL ready already you know he Agreed. looks like a kid that fits fits that mold of what NFL teams are looking for with a kid that can block and has good hands. Um and Phil loves him Phil just loves throwing to him <laughs> um defenses have been scheming towards you know double covering him and bracketing sure. him more um so his numbers have kind of dipped a little bit as he's been more of a focus on the defense uh, man, the first, you know, first five games of the season, he was Djokovic's, you know, teddy bear. He was throwing everything to him <laughs> and and he would catch everything. You know, he's 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 very reliable.
1: So yeah, let's flip over to the defensive side of the ball. Uh, you, you mentioned in your in your remarks earlier about the fact that, uh, you know, Halfley went out and pretty much got three out of the four uh, defensive linemen brand new uh, from the transfer portal. And those guys are producing, so uh, let's let's hear about the, those guys and what they're able to do up front.
2: And, and you know, I bring to I brought up three. There's actually a fourth one, and this this story is even better. Okay, so you get three quarter. You got three defensive uh, defensive players from you know either a power five programs or G six program, right? They also the second week of the season, we get a, an email from the SID that they got a grad transfer from a kid from Maine. Played at Maine, not like he came from Maine. Hmm. He played for the University of Maine. I was like, Oh, yeah, okay, whatever. He's probably gonna be a death player that plays in the practice squad. He starts that week, gets a sack. I'm like, oh okay. He looked quick, he looked really good. He's got four and a half sacks now. (laughs) And I I did not expect this kid. His name is Maximilian Roberts, and he you know a long good quick t- defensive end you see him a lot in passing downs he's more of a situational player he has come in over and over again has made plays for this defense and i expected just based off of you know in fcs school that he wasn't going to do all that much so sure. he's been a big revelation but if you're going to look at the defense and you're going to look at you know who's going to be the playmaker it's got to be max Richardson. okay linebacker he leads the country in tackles um you know, he had a huge game against Syracuse this weekend, had two sacks. He was all over the place. Um, He's the leader. He's, he's a super, you know, he's a great kid that just does what he needs to do. Um, And I was waiting for a game where he explodes because he's, you know, he's making all these tackles, but he's not really doing much in terms of like tackles for loss and things like that. And he had a big game there. Uh, He's one I'd watch for. And, you know, we talk about Jeff Halfley and his defense the big thing that Jeff Halfley does is he's a secondaries coach. That's what his, you know, his his bread and butter is. So I, I had to give credit to the previous coaching staff. They brought some good defensive backs in. They just weren't coached correctly. I yeah, thought right. that the scheme was kind of, kind of wonky. That just let players, you know, chew them up for yards. That Halfley has got them playing. He says he calls it violent. They're playing violently. And that what they do is they play, you know, a lot of, you know, man-to-man coverage and he lets these longer, you know, defensive backs, Brandon Sebastian, Josh DeBerry, uh, Elijah Jones really just, you know, battle these, these wide receivers on the field and they do a nice job. You don't see a ton of what you saw under Adazio was a lot of broken coverages here and there. Even when Don Brown of Michigan was here, you, he would have a play every game where something would happen and, you know, there'd be a guy wide open. You don't see that under Jeff Halfley and the secondary is playing exceptionally well. They give up yards, but they don't give up the, the explosives. And I think that's a big Testament to the coaching staff because, you know, between Halfley and Lokabu who Tim Lokabu, who was the Cincinnati line, uh, Bengals linebackers coach last year, he's under 40. He's, he's going to be a hot commodity in a couple of years. I can tell you that um, they have got this defense playing well. They played exceptionally well against Syracuse, but Syracuse's offense is a, is a mess. Um, And I thought, you know, they've had moments throughout the year where they show really good flashes of what they could, they could do if they have the talent, because, you know, the defense got left with, you know, bare bones at different points. They don't have an explosive playmaker. They don't have a guy that can kind of take over a game and Halfley's working through that through recruiting right now. And I think that'll come along in a year or two.
1: So, one of the things Notre Dame was able to take advantage of against Clemson is they loaded the box and they, they kind of went one on one on the outside with with the the defensive backs against Notre Dame's receivers. And, and Notre Dame was able to win that battle. Do you, in, in your opinion, do you think, uh, you know, Boston College might do the same thing? Are they going to try to go one on one on the outside with Notre Dame's receivers? Uh, is that something that's been in kind of their staple of, you know, defensive things to do?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think that, you know, I think they're going to (laughs) have to. The big issue, so last week there was a couple of injuries. I think they're going to impact how BC attacks Notre Dame. The biggest one, and I'm not sure if he's going to play or not, is Isaiah McDuffie, who leads the team in in, uh, tackles along with Richardson. They're one and two. Richardson's probably higher because McDuffie got hurt. Um, He's. It sounds like he's going to play based off of what Halfley's saying. But halfley's always really big. It's hard to read between the lines if they're gonna yeah. play or not. Um, he's a he's a linebacker that usually is the guy that goes and covers the tight end or running back on some of those those plays. So if he's out, they're gonna have to kind of I think they're gonna have to shift around because John Lamont, the guy that will replace McDuffie, is a lot slower than McDuffie. And if you're covering Williams, you need some speed. And <laughs> McDuffie has that. Lamont does not. Yeah. So that's an issue. And then Mike Palmer, who's one of their starting safeties is out. He's out. He, I, it looked to me like he tore his hamstring. I'm not sure if he tore it or but halfway said he's out. Um, <laughs> so they're going to have another safety in for him. Um, so the safety that they have, Jamin Muse is good, slower guy. I think that they're going to probably try to you know keep guys man to man, Because I think Halfley has the faith, even if no no matter who they're facing against, Mm -hmm. um, he thinks that his defensive backs can win some of those battles and at least keep them honest and not let big plays happen. Because I think the one thing, I mean, we played UNC, who's got Diami Brown and um, I'm totally blank on the other kid's name, but the two wide receivers there, they were able to kind of keep them in check. I think that's what they're going to try to do against Notre Dame too.
1: No, it makes a lot of sense. Um, special teams, anybody you want to bring up on, on special teams, whether it's the return game or the kick
2: game. I always bring up the, I, it's not a sexy thing to talk about, but I love the punter, Grant Carlson. Uh, he's, he, he's been great all year, you know, yeah. it's not a, it's not a stat that you going to look at and go, Holy crap. You know, he's good because the statistics, you have to really dig in to find it, but he's been phenomenal at, at a pinning guys within the tw- other teams again, within the 20 and, um, flipping the fields, he's just he's just been able to do that. And this, uh, you know, I, I think Halfley talks about how well it's he's done. At, uh, I think the pick game was the big one that he did it. Uh, you know, he's just constantly been able to kick. It, like perfect example, Clemson game, the end of the game, both of the plays were called back, but it was a one possession game. BC's defense makes a stand, or no, Clemson's defense makes a stand. BC has to punt. They punt it to the one yard line twice with Carlson. Carlson nails it both inside, the tw- and they both get called back for holding. But again, that shows how well he he could do uh, in those big position, a uh, big big uh, situations. So, Grant Carlson's one I'd watch. Aaron Bumere the kicker. Um, he had a tough game against Syracuse. He missed two kicks, um, but he's been pretty consistent other than that. I mean, he hit the game winner against Texas State, so uh, gotcha. he's the other one to watch for.
1: So, if uh, if if Boston College is going to pull the upset at home, what are the keys to victory, in your opinion?
2: Uh, BC has to stop shooting themselves in the foot. Um, the the self inflicted wounds are what what keeps bad teams in games and prevents BC from beating good teams. Um, they had eleven penalties against Clemson. They had a bunch against Syracuse. It, it, you know Halfley talks about them both being you know, there's the good, the, the, there's the acceptable penalties, which is you know, pass interference, they're playing physical, that's going to happen. College football, 15 yards, you, you can live with that, absolutely. But the stupid ones with pre snap penalties, personal fouls, personal fouls, they've been hit over and over again. McDuffie's out, so or could be out, so he'd be a good one to watch for. Um, he, he's been hit for like three or four times this year, uh, but there's been a bunch of the stupid, you know, holding. Uh, legal formations, stuff like that. It, you, if you got to beat a good team, you got to cut that stuff out. You cannot give other, you can't give a good team second and third chances. And BC has done it over and over again. They did it against Clemson. And if they do it against Notre Dame, they're going to lose. But if they can stop that and have a cleaner game, it could go anyway. It could go either way.
1: Absolutely. Couldn't agree with you more. And, uh, you know, keep an eye out for Phil and big plays. I would say that that would be, Something yeah. that, that could uh, that could bite the Irish in the behind. But, uh, AJ, I want to thank you for joining me on the Opponents Insider podcast today. Would you like to let everyone know, uh, like, your Twitter handle and where yeah. they
2: can find your work? Yeah, you can find me at bcbulletin.com. I'm on the same uh, network as uh, Irish Breakdown. I am, I'm over there talking Boston College with a bunch of other uh, lunatics that want to talk about Boston College football. <laughs> um, you can find me on Twitter at AJ Black underscore bc. You can see my site at Boston College SI and uh, follow my podcast. If you like listening to me talk, it's Locked on BC. I have a daily podcast where I talk about BC for 20, 25 minutes a day with all sorts of different guests. And um, uh, that's, that's where you can find me.
1: Awesome. Again, that's AJ Black, who's the editor and publisher at BC Bulletin. Again, also the host of Locked on Boston College podcast. But next up on Notre Dame's schedule after the bye week is another away game as ND travels to North Carolina to face off with the Tar Heels on Black Friday of all days. And we will talk about that game in a couple of Wednesdays. So until then, thanks for joining me on the Opponents Insider Podcast.